Today, on the Earn More Tutoring Podcast, Jeff Copper and I talk about how he built a coaching brand where people pay just to get on his waiting list, how he built a YouTube channel with over 16,000 followers, and how he became a recognized thought leader in the ADHD space. Rather than go to the library and read a bunch of stuff, and reading was very difficult for me because of my uh, dyslexia, because of the coding and encoding problems of letters, it dawned on me one day, if I interviewed a subject matter expert, then I could use their quotes and put them in my paper and get out of, of reading it. And so that's what I did. And I ended up getting an A minus, I think, in the class. And it was it was interesting because, again, it was the first time I had done, like, you know, taken my own path. Well, from that point in time forward, for the rest of my life, I found myself time and time again struggling when I was trying to do it the way everybody told me to do it. And I just started to do it my way. So uh, yeah, welcome to the Earn More Tutoring Podcast. This podcast is all about how you can earn more money as an educator, as a coach, and in the stories of people who have done that. Uh, so do you want to start a side hustle tutoring or coaching or take that business full time? Then you're in the right place. Today's guest is Jeff Copper. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me on, uh, on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. So I wanted to start by just asking you, Jeff, tell us about your different ventures and, and your different offerings so our audience can have a little background into that. So I kind of look at my, my I have kind of two businesses. One is I call it my media business. I've had a, a podcast called Attention Talk Radio that started back in 2010 that I've produced a show every week since then. And Attention Talk Video is a YouTube channel that I have. Uh, both channels are dedicated to uh, ADHD-related topics. Um, I've also got Attention Talk News, which is basically a subscription-based newsletter that really supports the other two. So both of those parts are to provide information to those in need. Um, I do have advertisers and stuff, but it's mostly just to kind of break even. Um, and it's 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 a fun part of my business because I've learned a lot over the years. And then there's the other side, which is the coaching part of my business, where I do individual one-on-one coaching. As an attention coach, I specialize in uh, adults that have ADHD. But I also, with that, have group co- coaching program and um, some other offerings, like a couple ebooks and just a couple videos and just some other miscellaneous stuff as a as a as to support that business. But what's wrapped around is I'm all things attention. Everything's related to attention, so everything I do stems from it and the study of it and managing it. Yeah, it sounds like you found different ways to uh, share your ideas on attention and also provide coaching and support and and kind of uh, continuing education for your audience. So. Out of curiosity and also to help the listeners kind of move forward in their journey, you know, of all those, of all those um, branches of your, of your business, which one do you find to be the most um, profitable and and why do you think that is? Uh, The most profitable would be my one-on-one coaching. Um, It's my most profitable, both financially, also intellectually. That's where I learn the most. It's kind of like, um, if you ever watch professional golfers, they're golfers, but they make more money on their brands than they actually do the tour. Um, I learn more from my clients that really manifest everything else that's there. So uh, that's where my focus is. Um, group coaching, I'm, I do a little bit in that arena. It's a little bit more challenging because the way I do coaching is when you have one, you can coach them. When you As you start to add people, it goes more to education and workshop types of things. And the core of what I do is I like to coach and do one-on-one customized type stuff. So I do do some group programs where I'm coaching people to coach themselves, but for the most part, it's just the one-on-one experience. And that's the part that I love. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, as someone else who, who also provides, you know, one-to-one support for people, it's obviously the most desirable for a lot of people, right? They want that individualized attention and, and figuring out how to problem solve. And I'm wondering, how did this start? You know, I know you've got a background in, in different different fields and, and you're also an athlete yourself, but tell us about how you got into the, the coaching and then also building kind of a, a business around it and providing these educational materials and supports. So we have to go back to myself. Um, I was an athlete. Uh, I was diagnosed with dyslexia in 1972 at age nine and a learning disability and struggled through school my entire life. Um, every summer there was always tutors that I had to go to. And back then they really didn't understand what was going on. And I remember they would get frustrated and I would get frustrated. I, 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 I don't remember the technique. I just remember there was one with this inverted L that they would go through the, the a book and I was like supposed to read or they would cover like a word and show letters. And then they'd say, now read it. And I'm like, I, I couldn't, I, I was getting frustrated. So as time went on, I, I went through school, I graduated. I probably wouldn't have gotten into a, a mainstream college had I not been a scholarship athlete. But once I got there, the fortunate part, well, I was on um, scholarship and I had unlimited tutors at that point in time, but there was really nobody overseeing them. Cause in the past I was always told like, this is what you've got to do. And I'll never forget um, sociology of sport. My first semester, like I was, I was in tears, like a couple five days into it because I just couldn't keep up with the reading. I mean, I was just overwhelmed. And it, I, I started like, what am I gonna do? I got to survive. So I got to where I just read the first sentence of each paragraph and social books are like run on sentences. So then I got to where I just read the first line of each paragraph and I would listen for the gist of what they were trying to talk about. And I would kind of go to school. And that's really the first real recollection that I can describe to you that I broke away from that notion of what you're supposed to do. And I was, it was a survival mechanism. This is what I got to do. In that same class, we had to do a research paper and uh, being an athlete and it was on sociology sport, but they were using soccer basically to teach us sociology um, rather than go to the library and read a bunch of stuff. And reading was very difficult for me because of my uh, dyslexia, because of the coding and encoding problems of letters. It dawned on me one day, if I interviewed a subject matter expert, then I could use their quotes and footnote my paper and get out of of reading it. And so that's what I did. And I ended up getting an A minus, I think, in the class. And it was, it was interesting because again, it was the first time I had done like, you know, taking my own path. Well, from that point in time forward for the rest of my life, I found myself time and time again, struggling when I was trying to do it the way everybody told me to do it. And I just started to do it my way. And over time I had more and more success doing it my way. So I got out of college. I got a job selling group health insurance and pensions for Aetna. Um, went down the path and ultimately went and got my MBA. Interestingly enough, uh, dyslexics, higher you go in school, typically the better you do. And I got my concentration in finance and was in the upstart world. And that's when I really started to understand the challenges that I had and the gifts that I had that a result of it. So fast forward, I think it was 2005, 2006, my kids were getting kind of older. My ex-wife at the time, we were both traveling. The nanny was spending the night, a couple nights a week with the kids. And we, you know, we didn't have kids to have somebody else raise them. So I stayed home to be more entrepreneurial. And in that process, I, there was a, an eclectic thing that's a really long story, not to chew up some time, that I got interested in this life coaching thing. So I did a little bit of studying and a friend of mine who was a psychologist from Yale and Swimmer said, you should really be like an ADHD coach. So I checked that out and got into it and just fell in love with it. You know, the 
the brain wires a little bit differently, different, and they struggle. And I, I got became a trained life coach and a life coach at the same time. Had a mentor and started my journey into this area and find my job to be exceptionally creative. I like to crawl into the head of people and really understand how they think. And, you know, I'm really proud of having like coached to people to discover like a smell based to do list would work for them. People are like what? Like, yeah, this person had a very sensitive um, sense of smell and I never knew crayons had odor. So that's kind of what brought me into coaching. Now, when I got here, um, again, I couldn't write. I mean, Writing is difficult for me. And everybody said, you got to do a book or a blog. And I departed from that and started uh, Attention Talk Radio. And I was really doing it to make a name for myself, to have something to talk about in social media, which it did. But never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would get an amazing education because I was the one interviewing all the experts. And oddly enough, most of them were eager to talk from academia. And I've literally interviewed almost anybody that's a thought leader on ADHD. And that, that, that one thing of going a different path and doing it my way and getting that education really supported my business and brought me today. And again, I, I love my job. As I say, it's very, very creative. Everybody I meet is just something new I've got to learn and try to figure out. So to answer your question, it was a, it was my background and my struggles and my, um, instinct to do it my way, not to get caught up um, and basically accept myself, if you will. Um, and through a course of events got me into coaching. And now I thrive in this, I think, because I help a lot of people just really kind of accept what they can do and kind of move them forward. So I hope that answers your question for the most part. Oh, it definitely does. And I'm just thinking about what you just said. I think one thing, you know, there are multiple things in your story that really stick out to me that it's almost like, you know, when you're reading a book and you read something, you're like, ah, oh, that I've never put that into thought before, but that is, uh, you know, what I was feeling inside when you said that you started to interview people rather than read the books. And then you had the direct quote from the author or whatever it was. Yep. That's such a powerful piece because not only are you getting it straight from the source and it's like, they're responding to your question, but you're also building this incredible network yep. of people you've engaged with. And it sounds like, like, I like the way you described, like I did it my way. And now you just continue to do that and build a career out of it and a whole, you know, became a thought leader in the ADHD yep. space. So that's, I think something that I want the audience to take away is like, go out there and speak to people, talk to people, like build your network, but also provide value, right? Because I'm like you were saying, they were excited to talk about their findings and their knowledge. And it, it's like a two-way, you know, yep. growth where you yep. got, you got things out of it, but they also, um, you know, were able to share their yep. thoughts. Absolutely. So yeah, that's amazing. So the other thing I love that you said was the challenges made your gifts. And I was wondering if you could just share a little bit more about that, because it sounds like at one point you were, you were like, you know, the, the sports got you into college and you were, you were getting through it and you had access to these tutors, but no one really was working with you. So you just had to figure it out. And I wonder if you could speak to a little bit to our audience out there who, you know, a lot of people get into the ADHD or the coaching or uh, people helping people with disability space because they've also gone through it. So could you talk to a little, us a little bit about like how your challenges created your gifts and maybe how some people could kind of expedite that pathway so that they don't have to struggle like you did. So I want to, I want to just frame this out because language is really, really important and we're using gifts and I'm not so sure I'm gifted. It's just, I had to rely 
on doing things a little bit differently. And it forced me to dig into some things a little bit differently. So I'm a very, very large picture, very conceptual. I need to understand what the crux of it, what the core of it is that drives it. When I understand that, I don't have to remember the details. And so my entire life I have spent successfully trying to get to that. And it's, it's not something that people really understand. As I described, there's three kinds of how. There's how you operate something, like you push the lever on a toilet and it flushes. You can operate a toilet, but that doesn't mean you can you understand how it works. Methodically, there's a set of instructions that you follow. You might be able to fix something. Insight is the ability just to understand a toilet from top to bottom. And if you walk in and there's a problem, you can figure out, or like, if you understand how an engine works and how a car works, you can hear some things and diagnose those things really quickly. It's hard for me to describe what that insight is, but that core is that thing that was always calling me. And it's not easy to get from a lot of people, but I found that if I could get to that, it would help me understand things. And as I pursued my intuition to go understand the core, what's underneath it all, it was a really tough and long journey. But over a long period of time, I was able to unearth and be able to use that. And I dig a little bit deeper. So for example, I'm just, this is how I see the world. A lot of people might disagree with me, but, um, 80% of procrastination, I find, is actually rooted in ambiguity. And as I, when I'm coaching people, if you don't acknowledge what's ambiguous and you don't solve for that problem, emotionally, you're just spinning in circles. And ambiguity's got two parts. One, literally, you just don't know what to do. You don't know where something is. You don't know how to find something. But there's another side of that, too, and this is working memory. Working memory is, is with, in the ADD world, nobody talks about it, but it's the elephant in the room. It's the loading of information and the holding of information in your mind. Now, you might know a bunch of parts, but if you can't hold the picture in your mind together, it's ambiguous because you don't see how it's all kind of put together. And a lot of people with ADHD, when thinking's hard, by the way, and it's ambiguous, they have a tendency to escape. It looks like a... Um, an attention issue. And it is, but the root of it isn't willpower, whatever. It's the, the challenge of thinking inside their head. So I'll do a lot of asking people, well, what's not clear to you, et cetera. And they don't think about it, but they get to the core. So I, this is a little bit confusing. So it's probably better if I give you an example. A guy came to me one time and he said, I said, what's you know, it's the first time I was coaching him. First thing on his procrastination list was he needed to call his relatives to tell him about a dance recital. I said, what's hard? He said, nothing. I said, come on, what's hard? He said, nothing. It's simple. I said, literally, what's hard? He goes, no, it's Jeff, it's just a phone call. I said, stop. Think about this. Did you have breakfast? Did you go to the bathroom? Those were easy things today. You're, you, you, you're, this is the first thing on your procrastination list, and you're paying me money to coach you on it. Don't tell me that it's easy, because if it was, you would have done it. So what's hard? And he goes, well, I don't know. I guess I'll call them my relatives, and they'll ask me, where do I park? What do I bring? And what do I wear? And I guess I don't know the answer. Now I got to go back to my wife. And, you know, it's just, this, can't you just do this one thing? So now he's got this emotional thing that he's got to deal with to get the information to go back. And as I unpack that, that's an example of how it's ambiguous to him, the questions and the answers they're going to ask, because he didn't stop and he didn't visualize when he was tasked with this thing, what they might ask for to ask that question. A lot of people will look at that and go, hmm, but that is an example 
of how I break things down and get to the core of it in a way that I can understand and translate it for those that I'm working with. So going back to the question, I'm not so sure it was a gift, but it's the way I learn and the way I understand things. And I have to break everything down to something that's like about an inch long. It takes a really long time to take complicated things to boil it all down. Because I haven't given up, once I understand it and simplify it, I can explain so much more. And it's taken me years in my business to do that stuff, but it's paying spades right now because I, ADHD is really just a self-regulation issue with a working memory challenge, or it's harder for people to think in their head. I can break it down in all the components. That's really all it is. So you got to remove the temptation. You got to make thinking easy. It's not much more complicated. Yeah. It, it, and it just, thank you for sharing that. And it just makes me think about how people simplify things so often, like, you know, you you know, often as an educator, I hear people say, oh, the kid's just lazier. They're not motivated. Right. But it's like this client that you had where, yeah, it sounds like a simple phone call, but in his head, he's playing out all the things he has to do, you know, once they agree for him to show up or whatever, he's got to, you know, have this and this and this. And I, I relate, like I was trying to plan a trip the other day or, you know, like pick a destination. And I just like, could not pick a place. And I wish I had had you there to like talk it through. Cause I needed to break it into like little chunks and, you know, be like, why is this stressful? But I think it, yeah, it's hard to see, I guess, you know, I don't know, you probably have a particular way of phrasing it, but like see below the simple issue, there's all these different, like yep. complicating factors. So it sounds like you, you really help people identify that. Yeah. So another example is um, Dr. Russell Barkley released some research 18 months ago that's been groundbreaking, and it suggests um, those with ADHD, their life expectancy is eight to 20 years less than the general population. And they measured 14 factors, um, five of which you can't do anything about. One of them is like intelligence, but the nine other factors that are involved, one might be, you know, diet or substance abuse or whatever. The first tier variable, like for diet was food. But underlying that was self-regulation. That's what all nine of them had in common. And ADHD is a challenge of self-regulation. And he's framing it out as not a mental health problem, but a public health problem. In fact, if anybody out there is not complying with their meds like diabetics, they should automatically be screened. That's just another example of something when you see it, it's obvious, but it's buried and kind of invisible. And I've learned that it's hard to to identify what that is, but if you can, it drives it. And so going back to, am I gifted at figuring that out? I don't know, but I've been rewarded so many times. I haven't given up and I just can't kind of keep trudging along and I've been rewarded over a period of time. And, and even in my business, I, 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 I'm proud of what I do and the outcomes that I have because of those underlying factors. And you know, let me tell you, it wasn't easy to figure that out. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, and that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more about, but just on what you're talking about, Dr. Russell Barkley is like, I know a little bit of his work and on that note, you know, I think with the work we do is so urgent because yeah, you're saying like you could have eight to 10 more years in your life if you address these things possibly. And, uh, I just, I'm, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm, I was just reading Dr. Adele Diamond's study on executive function, which is not exactly ADHD, but related. And she went through a whole list of how having better executive function skills improves like marital harmony, uh, like job satisfaction, you know, physical health. Like it's, these things are so important, but often not really, I guess, brought to the forefront or addressed so much. So, well, actually it's funny because, um, the, the, the forefront researchers all agree that ADHD is a, an executive functioning impairment. The problem with it is, is it doesn't show up as an impairment in executive functioning tests. 
And so there's a real move afoot because the definition of executive functioning is somewhat vague. There's, there's a lot of different definitions of it. But one of the major executive functions that everybody, all experts agree on is self-regulation is one of those. And that they have a very specific definition for. So more and more, you're going to start to hear ADHD defined as an issue of self-regulation, which is an executive function, which also brings into the notion that it's not, there's a few things you have to regulate. Attention is one of them, but also emotions. While emotion is not in the diagnostic criteria yet, it's going to come back. It was before 1968. Um, it got taken out. We're not exactly sure why. Maybe can't measure it. But needless to say, is is I'm just taking a, a, a pause. Understanding that if, you, if you're dealing with somebody with ADHD and you're not aware of and thinking of those t- kind of terms, it makes it a little bit difficult. But it's, it's, it's kind of there if you see it, but hard to see it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, it's, it's, it's like people don't realize how big of the emotional component is until, and I didn't even realize it until I watched Dr. Barkley's, you know, speech to, to an audience. And he talked about how, when you can't pay attention, you can't focus, you get, you get frustrated or you can't regulate yourself. And then you have those outbursts, which make it difficult to socialize with others. People, people kind of shy away from people who, who get so frustrated at themselves, not necessarily at others, but just, you know, the, the, the sense of lack of control. So that's, yeah, that's such an important component um, for, for people to understand more fully. Um, so I, I want to go back to what you said about you know, how this work is paying in spades and, and you're doing well. And I think, you know, for our audience out there who are considering, you know, taking their teaching skills or taking their, their, their skills from, you know, a different position and wanting to work directly with people and help them with their challenges. uh, How did you get your first client? And then how did you continue to grow your business? And what does it look like now as far as the coaching aspect? Yeah. If I may, can I just insert something? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, of course. When you go out and you market, if you talk to a marketer, a lot of them will tell you people will buy what they want. They don't buy what they need. I've learned over the years, people don't buy what they want. They buy what they want to work. If you watch infomercials on Sunday mornings, you know, give me $20 and you'll save 20 pounds. And they say that over and over for 30 minutes in different settings. And people like that. They want that to work and they'll buy it after a while. It doesn't, but it sounds good. And so when I got into this business, I fought that for years because I wanted to give people what they needed. And I was constantly told by the marketers to change my message and it was unnatural. And so over the last 10 years, I've had a battle with them where they were saying, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. And they're the ones with the pedigrees. And I was saying, no, you're not getting it. And I'll come back to that in a second. So when I first got into this business, it was particularly difficult because coaching was, well, ADHD resources when I started in 2007, 2008 were distributed through health insurance um, distribution system, PPOs, HMOs, et cetera. And um, coaching, you got to pay for individually. So it was distributed differently and not a lot of people knew about what coaching was. Um, it was very much a challenge. So part of it was just getting out there. There was a lot of networking and a lot of, of talking it up. And it was honestly, it was quite challenging. We tried lots of things back in the old days that just really didn't kind of come around as time went on. And, and for me, the way I built my business was my reputation, mostly through my podcast and my YouTube channel. And as coaching has become more in vogue, if you will, and in, in interviewing some of the psychiatrists, 
and thought leaders around the country, I started getting referrals. I never thought that would be a lead generation thing for me. But as I got to know them personally and got their confidence, the coaching paradigm started kind of come around and I started to kind of grow the business. And then, then, then what happened is there was a departure for me from the way most people, because most people tend to go a little bit more commercial and they're looking, you know, fix your ADD five minutes, whatever. And I went a different way. I went, if it's not working for you, then you're paying attention to the wrong thing. And I, one of my key phrases, are you drowning in a sea of strategies? Yeah. Okay. Well, why is that? Well, you're looking for the quick fix. This, this isn't a quick fix. And I just really started to talk about, you know, you don't really understand ADHD. It's an issue of self-regulation. It's not a deficit of attention. And I really stood strong on the core value belief is that if it's if you want that go somewhere else but if you're really having a problem let's stick to that that discipline took me a lot longer to get um clientele but now that now that i stuck to it and it took me a lot while to language i'm I mean, I turn in like five, 10 people away every day right now just because of that. And people pay to get on my waiting list now. They pay money to get on my waiting list. And it's like, I think it's eight deep today um, because I stuck by it. And, and my, the message that I have is, is a twofold. If you're, if you're building a business, you got to stick with your core and what really makes a lot of sense to you. And marketing people are there. You have to manage them they don't manage you and you have to be true to your core. And if you take the shortcut, you can get there. But, you know, I started my YouTube channel back in 2013. It was pretty crude at that time. I really didn't get much. Now it's been the fourth most popular ADHD YouTube channel on the planet for four years running. Now the two ahead of me are way ahead of me, but it's only two or 3% of my time, but it has paid spades for me. And my message on it is all about attention. You're looking at it this way you're looking at the wrong time. It's really this way. And so getting back to your question is fundamentally, I grew my business by organically just being myself, getting myself out there, networking, getting to know lots of people and not fighting competition. Like I, I support other of my competitors, YouTube channels and podcasts. I'm always trying to work with them to support it, not fight against them. And it's kind of weird. It's counterintuitive, but I've promoted them. And it's actually, I think, helps me. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm just like so many <laughs> questions. Wait, tell me, you got to tell me more about people paying to be on your waiting list. So does that mean it's like a deposit and then that's part of their, their fee? Or are they actually paying just to be on the waiting list? I love it. I want to know more about it. They, they, they can get, um, I think it's $89. And if you go with me, it counts towards it. But you can get off at any time, but I think it costs $40 or something like that. And I, I do it. It's a marker to see if they're serious or not. I mean, I've had people ever say, yeah, I'll be on your waiting list, but if they're really going to pay and I, I, and I expeditious, I have people that sometimes are lingering, like, you know, if, if maybe we should wrap this up, somebody else I can help, you know what I'm saying? And it's, 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 of course, you know, anything like anything else, when somebody's got to pay to be on your waiting list, when I first started, I was like, you know, this is, it sounds really good, but it's not going to happen, but they did it. And originally I was going to cap it at four. And then I said, People were like, no, no, but I want to pay. And so, like I said, I, I broke my rule. I'm up to eight or whatever it is right now. But I think it goes back to my marketing message and who I am and sticking to what I know and, and believing in it, which goes back to, uh, I think differently. I work differently. 
Uh, I think my clients excel if they accept themselves. They come to me I'm like, I'm, if you're going to shit all over yourself, I can't do that. Because if you're, if, you, if you're going to focus on what you think you should do, that's not only an ADHD. You're fighting it. That's an emotional response. If you want to accept it, I'm going to help you do it and I'll help you thrive. And I just stick to that. And it's, it's kind of self-selecting. The people who want the quick fix, they don't like it. They just go on to somebody else. The ones that really, really, really are in pain and want something, I mean, they're there. I mean, you, I, this, the sales cycle for me is, I don't know, 15 minutes on a phone. I mean, it's quick just because I'm delivering my message of who I am and what I do. And it either resonates or it doesn't. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm fortunate to be in the position I'm in. Yeah, no, I'm just, you know, it's like hearing you talk, it reminds me of, you know, I read when I was trying to figure out like, how do I get a client or how do I get my first client? I read Russell Brunson's series of books. He talked about um, really being clear in your offer and also not being afraid to polarize people in the sense that you say like, this is what I am and this is what I stand for. And I'm not this, but I'm here if you want, you know, the thing that I offer. So it sounds like you're just super clear. And also that the clarity you have on, on your offer is steeped in all these incredible conversations you've had from the thought leaders in the field. So it's like you soaked up all like the knowledge kind of created your hypothesis on how to help people with ADHD and also what doesn't work like drowning in a sea of strategies. I love that phrase. It, it totally resonates. So that's really just incredible. It's, and then I just, for people listening out there, I'm kind of trying to summarize it because it's like, yeah, go out there, talk to, talk to the experts and whatever you want to offer, and then bring that knowledge back and have a clear kind of like offering on that. And I want to ask more about the YouTube channel. Cause I know that's such a, such kind of a confounding idea for so many people, you know, how did you get started in that? Was it just releasing a video and, and where is it at now? Like, is it something you do every week? Like, tell us about that. And so, it, so I originally started Attention Talk Radio, which is a podcast, and I was doing it, and I was, it was the growth was, was, I was always selling my advertisers on the growth. This is where it is now. This is where it was a month ago. This is where it's going to be. Then I began one day, like I began to realize is I, I need another library. And I went to YouTube as just another library. And with the intention of running like TV commercials in it, back in 2013, you could actually do that in those days. You can't anymore. So I got into it and at first the videos were a little long and the lighting was all messed up and I was dealing with experts and it was very difficult because the technology wasn't what it was right now. And I remember little things like I interviewed a couple people. It was really good content, but the, the, this, the lips and the voice didn't connect, but I'm like, what am I going to do? And I actually put a thing in the beginning of it, like, you know, uh, perfection or procrastinate, you know, we're about ADHD, the content's good. We're letting this thing go. Like it was not, it was a mess. Right. But I did that and used the ADD to kind of do that. And I, I experimented around as I got to it. I, I, I shortened things down to like three and five minutes. It was in and out. And I think I probably got 350 videos out there. And I'd say maybe two of them had three takes and a dozen had two takes. All the other is I just throw the camera on and I go, but I think the success of it is I walk in and there's only one concept. Like an example will be a lot of people with ADHD, they, uh, they have a learning addiction. They're always foraging for information and they'll start projects and they don't finish them and they beat themselves up. And I have, I've coached people before where the project is to learn what it's like to do it. When that's done, they're done. So they get confused by the definition of a project. Guys, like he wanted to remodel his bathroom. Once he had gotten molding up for part of it, 
he learned what it was like to put molding up. Now he still had more to put up, but he had learned that. And, and all of the projects he had were like, when the learning stopped, that's when it stopped. And the video is just to, to illustrate, if you've got ADHD, you got to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. It's not to finish this. You have a, you have a learning addiction. And when you learn, you run out. I'm telling you that because you can shit all over yourself, but when you start a project, you need to understand that's why you're doing it and either say, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to do it and accept the fact that it's not going to get done, not going to get completely finished, or know that you're going to have to hire somebody to do that. That's a simple message in three minutes. And it's amazing because people are like, oh my God, that's me. That's an example of being able to see what's under the engine a little bit, illuminate it to bring it to everybody's attention, or... Even the other day, I re released a video that was like, I don't know if you know it, but you know, YouTube's the second most popular search engine on the planet. And YouTube's got an algorithm on what you like. And people with ADHD have addictive behavior. And so when you get on YouTube, they're serving up crack cocaine and they get rewarded for selling ad space. So are you aware that the people at YouTube are smarter than you and they know how to talk to your primitive brain and get you addicted to it. Like, are you aware of that? I had a lot of comments on that. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. I can't put it down, but I do those little snippets. They're insights that people kind of go to. They're not like chunk it down procrastination. I do a lot of that over a long period of time and um, it's just gotten a following and I, I really enjoy it because I get a lot of, Oh my God, this is like the real stuff. And literally most of my material of the 350 videos I've had, I'd probably say 270 of them. I'm coaching somebody and a topic comes up and I have an idea. Oh my God. And I write it down. Like not long ago, I was, I was coaching a client and they were, they grabbed everything in their bathroom. They took it to bed, bath and beyond sat down in the middle of the store with all the, and was putting their soaps and shampoos to figure out which organizer they wanted to buy and walked out of the store. I mean, she was saying like people were looking by her, but it was great. I mean, she was comfortable in skin. And I, I think, I think the, the, I basically told that story to the audience and it was to infinity. I mean, bed, bath and beyond. And it was, it was a catchy little phrase, but the point really is, is that I found is that I just walk in and deliver something to that target. That's me. That's related to what I do. And it's grown over a period of time. And I, I, I have social media people take care of everything else, but I take care of the YouTube comments and I reply to every single one of them. I only have 16,000 subscribers, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's huge in my world. Uh, and I'm getting to the point where I kind of can't handle it. But because I comment, that's actually coming together because it's a personal thing with me. And so anyway, probably a little bit more than you wanted to hear, but that's how it happened. It was I needed to get into another library. When I did, I thought it was going to be my future and it is, but I've stuck with it and I got the lighting a little bit figured out. It's not perfect, but I just, I just rip it and do it. I don't worry about all the details of it. And some people I think like it because it's homemade. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, you know, it's just, it's funny being in my position with, uh, I think three, three or four uh, YouTube followers and uh, thinking, Oh, only 16,000, you know, but I can see, you know, why you would say something like that. But at the same time, yeah. And it's like, you have 16,000 people and, and, and it's not like you're, talking about something that's, you know, every single person is dealing with it. So I bet those of those 16,000 followers, like there, there's a lot of loyal fans in there who are like really taking value from it. It's not just like reviewing the new Mac computer like that. So, yeah. So Jessica McCabe, she runs how to ADD. I think she's got like 186,000 subscribers. And then Rick Green of Totally ADD, I think he's got like maybe 80,000. Now I'm on the professional advisory board of Totally ADD. They're both, they're TV people. That's kind of what they do. It's like 3% of my time. 
And as I say, I love them because they do a really good production jobs and they get people inside the ADD door. Then they come to me and I'm the one. Okay. Okay. This is that. And they, they really do a good job, but my position is not to be them. My position is after they're in the door and they want to do this and want to find hard hitting stuff. That's where I just deliver my message and my stuff. And I've always been comfortable. And it's funny because as I said, I'm grateful for them because they get people searching and then they find me and then I build a community based off of what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause everybody's going to have a different uh, desire, you know, and, and your approach is going to be different. In, and so it's like, you, you, every, as long as you're yourself, right. You know, and you're being authentic to yourself, then you're going to have your own audience. And I want to know a little bit about, so yeah, with YouTube, I know once you hit a thousand subscribers, we had Rich Smith on on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how he, you know once you hit that thousand subscribers mark, then you can monetize it. But how would how about with the podcast? Like I I know you you said you would sell advertisers on the growth. How did you begin to monetize that? And tell us about that struggle. Like what was that like? That that was, I was I started my podcast, and then I had a major health issue. And I had a period of time where I had to back down my business. And I basically said, you know, I called my, my podcast attention talk um, radio then. So what I did is I went out, it was just a podcast. Uh, what I did when I was ill is I got the uh, media kits for attention magazine and attitude magazine. And I reverse engineered the revenue that I thought that they were getting from it. Um, and some of their costs. And then I've determined clicking. So I made my own media kit. And so when I say I sell ad, it's not like Google stuff. I literally sell advertising to advertisers. I have an agreement with them. My blog talk radio is where I host my podcast, but my agreements are directly with my advertisers and I, I have sole control over it. So it's not like I'm running, um, like uh, Google ads or YouTube ads on it. I, it's literally like a radio show where I do that stuff. And I have commercial breaks in the middle of it, just like the radio show. And I, I really, I, because I'm a coach and most podcasts really weren't that I was one of the, I think it was the second podcast out there coming from a coach's voice. And I went and got advertisers that would support the coaching message. And I've got, I've been lucky because I've had, a, I call it my ecosystem because there was a period of time where all my advertisers were using my content in their own newsletters. And so it was interesting because I would do a show on content. Chad would run it in their newsletter and AD coach Academy would run it in their newsletter. So it's like, you got the best of all worlds and we were all kind of circling that stuff. And I built it and I had a, a loyal following. I just kind of stood on top of that. And it's uh, again, I use it just to kind of break even just to kind of keep the cost down, but I'm also, uh, trying to communicate the coaching voice and the paradigm as our industry grows. I was really fortunate because early on I got into some, some good people, some right things. And what's funny is I have, I've never, I don't know anything about advertising. It's all been self-taught <laughs> um, and knocking on doors and, uh, and anyway, it, you know, learning how to go into a studio and make a commercial was, you know, basically had a couple commercials transcribed and I saw the pattern, 15 minute, 15 second commercials, who you are, what do you do? Close. 30 second commercial is there's a hook, who you are and education, what you do and close. I mean, it's really, but I did that over a period of time and, and, um, it's, it's, and it's been, it's been kind of fun. Yeah. That's so awesome. You know, and I'm just going back to thinking about your initial metaphor about the toilet and it's how some people flush the toilet, but you, you pull off the, the top of it, you figure out how it works and then you've got a working toilet, but you know, it's like, it's like, 
it sounds like that's how you think. You don't just look at things for face value. You're like, what is the structure and the mechanic behind this thing? And like, I love what you said about going on to Attitude's website, taking their media kit and reverse engineering it. It's a, you know, that's, that's a brilliant idea. Like I'm, I'm about to do that too. So um, <laughs> t- can you just talk briefly? I know you got to run soon, but briefly about what is the concept of reverse engineering? Cause I think that's so important for people to really like understand, like, what does it mean to reverse engineer something? So, um, one is to plan it out forward and reversing engineering is backwards. And I got my MBA in the late nineties and I was, um, with a concentration in finance and a friend came to me one time because she wanted to start a, she wanted to start a sandwich shop in Tampa and she wanted me to write a business plan. I said, wait, 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 hang on a second. Before we do that, let's just think through this. Like you're in real estate. Where, where do you want this sandwich shop to be? And she told me, and I said, well, what's, What's the, what's the going rate per square foot in that area? She told me, I said, how many square feet do you think you need? Okay, we got that. Great. How many employees do you think you're going to need? What's, you know, minimum wage, whatever we, okay, we guesstimated this. Okay. How much equipment do you need? Da, 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 da. And I started saying, so, you know, you have phones, okay. Insurance, you know, I added all that stuff up and we got a number of what, you know, monthly expenses would be. And I said, you know, so you're going to sell these meals to people. What's the average like amount? Not the sandwich cost, like a sandwich is like, you know, $15 or, you know, whatever. And there were like one and a half person kind of going through. So the average bill, like $38. And I said, okay, now let's divide the expenses by the average cost. And we came up with the number of customers that she had to process in that month. And it was like a ridiculously high number, like 30,000 or something like that. And I said, we've just run through the numbers for 15 minutes. Do it. Does it look doable? And she's like, no. I said, okay, so what are the costs? We could, we could go somewhere else where the real estate costs are lower or, and basically she didn't want to do that. And so in that we reversed engineered by looking and not, not by going, building a, a plan, but just swagging at it and realizing it just wouldn't work. So sometimes reverse engineering is working backwards. I'll do a lot of, if I've got a, if I want to sell something on my website in a shopping cart, it's all going to start with the user experience. So I, at one point in time, I want to sell videos Vimo was, was a, it was, I was like, I wanted to know if somebody's going to go sign up and download, I wanted to know what their experience was first. And when I, I basically, I found out that it was, it was toxic for people with ADHD. I, I could have built it, but it would have been a train wreck, but I went to the end of it and said, what's that going to be and kind of work our way backwards. Steve Jobs was kind of like that. It's like, it's all about the user interface. And then the engineers need to adapt themselves to the user, not the user adapt themselves to the engineer. And so sometimes I, I, I think along those terms, what's the end game or what are we trying to get to? And then I work my way backwards. And it's, it's been a thought process for me that saved me an enormous amount of time and effort. Like another example is back in the early days, people started to pay for likes on their Facebook page. And I'm like, why do I, why would I do that? What's, what's this? I mean, if I get a lot of likes, I, I, I just didn't make sense to me in terms of growth. And I had a lot of friends that spent a lot of money doing that. You know, on Facebook, if somebody likes your page right now, they still don't serve it to anybody. It's just like a popularity contest. And I look back in those days and I was kind of thinking through all that stuff that was all the hype and it just, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me that, that Facebook would continue to do that. And, you know, now you get your stuff done, you got to sell advertising revenue and stuff like that. So I, it's anyway, I'm getting a little bit muddled down and get more complicated, but the bottom line is sometimes you stop at the end and you work way backwards and say, is this plausible before you jump into it and just build it for the sake of them coming and realize it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. I think, 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I just want people to understand. And I love the examples you gave about Steve Jobs and the sandwich shop and everything. I think it helps people understand, like, start with the end in mind, I guess, as they say in the, the seven habits of highly effective people. So uh, last two questions. One, what tools uh, really help you run your business? Or, you know, we've, we've got that question before, like some people say QuickBooks or TutorBird or this or that. What tools help you do what you do? Dropbox and um, a, a virtual assistant that um, has an engineering mindset. All the tools out there are, all, it's not the tools, it's how you integrate the tools. And that's a great example of reverse engineering. There's a lot of tools out there. Like I could care less about AWeber or Constant Contact. I want to know on the front side, can I import like a list into that? Like all the rules, I, I want to know what the rules are first. And I want to know what they're capable of. I want to go backwards before I jump into that. And it's really difficult because they're like, you got to sign up to find out what it does. No, I'm not doing that. I, it's cost me too much the school of hard knocks to learn it, to find out it doesn't want. So it's about the people that can help you shortcut the engineering part of it, because in this day and age, there's all kinds of tools out there. And there's a lot of them that they sound really good, but they don't integrate. And the other one is keep it simple. Don't just keep it. The simpler you keep it, I still keep a lot of everything Excel because I can import it into anything. You get a proprietary system. You can't, I, I, I've never liked that stuff, but, but I'd say Dropbox because all my assistants, we can use it and a, a, a virtual assistant that knows how to engineer systems. That's the best tool I got. Thank you. And the last question before we jump into the hot seat, if you're up for it, is uh, what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now in growing your business, you know, or doing your business? What, what's the biggest challenge? I say, you you want to say, <laughs> Jeff, what was your biggest challenge five or six years ago? It was uh, finding ways to articulate uh, executive function, which is a very intangible, invisible thing to make it tangible. Um, today, my problem is taking advantage of the market. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I do what I do because I'm called to what I do. I help people and I'm turning people away left and right. And I'm right now I'm trying to convert a, a, a program into a digital thing. It's very hard because it's, I have to interact with people. It's very difficult. And I'm, I'm having to pull that stuff together. But um, the hardest part to me in my business was, I have to say, languaging it, getting to the essence, to the core of it, particularly what I do. Because when, when I take, when I get people and I'm trying to break down executive functioning into components for people to understand the components, to see it inside their head, being able to language that in a way that made sense that they got was exceptionally challenging and marketing. You know what I do. I have my little aha light bulb guy over here, which that's a whole nother story. And that was a, that was a godsend when I figured that out um, because most people have the wrong conceptual understanding of stuff and you can't explain it to the aha represents that. And um, so anyway, it's, I, I know it's a little bit more complicated than you wanted, but it probably languaging. No, that, thank you for sharing that. I think that's so important for people out there because we talk about pain points and how do you solve pain points? So maybe someone will hear this and be like, Jeff, I'm, I'm the one who can help you with language, or I don't know. You know, it sounds like you're doing fine on your own, but you know, yep. who knows? Um, so I got a few rapid fire questions. Is it okay if I ask them to you? Yep. All right. So book or podcast that helped you with your business the most? No, I just, uh, first time I got on, I got a bunch of friends on. It was not a podcast and I just started winging it and I just started listening to my voice and I just started playing around with it. And 
I later I started looking into that stuff, but it was uh, it just it, they uh, I didn't like it. it got confusing. It, it was all about all, it was a lot of show. I found myself explaining more to how it really worked to the people who were writing the books. But from my experience, that doesn't mean I knew what I was talking about. That's what it felt like. Favorite movie? Arthur. Dudley Moore. Isn't fun the best thing to have? <laughs> best album? I've seen Jimmy Buffett in concert every calendar year for 40 years until COVID. So, uh, God, I don't know. It's one of them, I don't know, flip a coin. There's 30 of them. Pick it. Sounds good. Ideal vacation spot. I know you're in Florida already, but. Uh, that one's a real, the moon. <laughs> <laughs> My dad worked on space program, so. Oh, cool. Well, with, uh, with the SpaceX or whatever it is, maybe, maybe we'll be closer than later. Yep. Best Amazon purchase in the last year. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Wetsuit. For what? Is it cold over there? Or no? When, when, when? Uh, no, in the wintertime, surfing, um, wakeboarding. Um, I go out, on, I have a wave runner. I go out and golf. And I'm there. also using, there's, a, there's an island off of Florida, about three or four miles. It's uninhabited. I go out there camping sometimes. Oh, that sounds fun. Well, that kind of answers the question, but self-care activity of choice. Swimming. Best TV show. Best TV show. That's a hard one. I'm going to say cheers just because it's so well-written. If a book was written about your life, what would the title be? Holy shit. <laughs> that is it. Not, I, thought you, I thought you were saying that before the question, but no. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, it has been an honor and a privilege to, to have you on the show today. If people want to find out more about your different ventures, what you're doing, where should they go? digcoaching.com which is like dig a hole in coaching not that you dig a hole but we excavate ahas daily awesome jeff thank you so much for for coming on today thanks for having me on i really appreciate the opportunity i hope you got value from today's episode please leave a review and comment and crush that subscribe button new episodes will be posted on sundays at 5 p.m please join our email list by going to earnmoretutoring.com and entering your email and please also consider donating to help us with all the costs associated with creating this awesome podcast by checking out our Patreon page. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Our marketing and management team includes Maya Pugach and Sadie Smith. To learn more, go to earnmoretutoring.com. <laughs> earn more.